From Vistio, this is recorded for Quality Assurance. A show where we talk to the world's leading CX experts about industry trends, CX technology, and transforming customer support into a streamlined strategic advantage for your business. Welcome to CXQA Live, the home of the agent-centric contact center philosophy. And every week we talk about how agents with the right training, tools, and connection with your company will be a revenue growth and protection center for your business or brand. They're going to be the best diagnostic tool that you can have for your business. They're going to ensure that your customers are satisfied and connected. They're going to produce more and better work, and they're going to want to stay and contribute to the long-term success of your company. So today on the show, we have as a first-time featured guest with us, but not a first-time guest. We've been with us quite a few shows to hang out and, and contribute, is Doug Raybold, CXO of Bold Ray Consulting. So glad to have you with us, Doug. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, man. So we've been discussing AI in the contact center for the last few weeks. And uh, Doug and I are going to focus our time today on the question of quality from AI contact center solutions, those that exist now, and and kind of talking about where the quality issue might go when it comes to AI solutions for the contact center. So let's start with this question, Doug, directed for you here. What is your current assessment of AI tools that are out there for the contact center and the, the quality of experience that they're helping to provide customers that are interacting with brands? Yeah, very loaded question, Rob. So, so great start. Way, way to just you know open the floodgates for me. Just rip the bandaid um, right off, right? Yeah, no kidding. So, when I think about AI right now, and and you know, there, there's a lot of hype about AI, and you know, all, all the all the GPTs out there. You know, it's, it's like, and I've I've even noticed that some of the the contact center and and service desk ITSM tools out there right now are whatever cognitive agent they have built into their, you know, as native functionality, they're adding GPT after it. So, you know, talk about bandwagon effect. And so I, I think there's a cautionary tale there. And, and that is that just because it says it's something doesn't mean it is something. It could just be a marketing effort. Hmm. So I think it's, as with any tool, it's incumbent on the purchaser, user, consumer to educate themselves about what the actual capabilities are and where it fits within their requirement spectrum. So when when you ask what's, you know, when, when it comes to quality and, and what's out there, uh, I, I guess I would say there's a whole gamut of things and you have to look, you know, kind, kind of like the, the old Wizard of Oz thing, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You got to pay attention to the man behind the curtain when it comes to this. You got to look under the hood, you know, pop the hood and, and see what the engine looks like is, you know, is it, did it really sit in, in granny's garage, every, you know, and only come out on Sundays or is it something that somebody took out and, you know, ran a hundred miles an hour on the highway four or five, six days a week. So, you know, what I would say is that there are some tools out there that absolutely have some, some capabilities to, to build a quality experience within limitations. Then there are others that when you look at them, it's probably just part of the hype machine that's going on right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a startup kind of pitch me for some partnerships as a as a brand on the basis 
only that they had chat GPT for the contact center and literally zero additional details were available about what they're doing. And, you know, my shock was that they had actually raised a decent amount of money with that level of depth to their pitch. And I think that the bandwagon effect, while it can bring some excitement that might be genuine about some advancements and enhancements within an existing product or to go to market that is very well motivated by good things and has a lot of value to offer, it can also just be a bunch of baloney. And at the end of the day, your statement that it's up to the consumer to discern, I think it shouldn't just be up to the consumer to discern, but functionally in the marketplace, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the the, the old caveat emptor, right? You know, buyer beware. And, you know, it, it's not just with this. It's it's with any tool. I mean, the, everybody markets very similarly, regardless of what tool it is that, that you're going after. And if somebody does come up with some shiny new thing, everybody copies it in a matter of months or, or a year anyway. So that's why I say you, you really got to, you know, you got to talk to the the people who talk to the user communities when it comes to these things, you know, get, get involved in the user community and ask the questions, Hey, does it really do this? Or is it just, you know, it, is it just the way that it's being marketed? And then talk to analysts who are in, you know, from all the various ratings agencies, and they have conversations with these folks and, you know, at these companies that, that are selling these tools and they'll give you the skinny. If, if you're a subscriber to their service, they'll give you the, you know, give you the lowdown on, on what the reality is. So, that's that's I, I think why I say, you know, I take every marketing piece with a grain of salt. And part of that's probably some cynicism because my first career, I spent 18 years in sales and sales management in a completely different industry. So I know what the hype cycle is and I know how marketing's done and I know how you, you know, how you put something in somebody's hands. So I've always, you know, sort of step back from the marketing and and make sure that I understand what what it is that I'm actually going to be buying. And we talked about the ethical implications for AI in the contact center last week. And I, I personally thought it was a fascinating discussion and we've had, you know, some input and engagement since the content was posted yesterday from that time a week ago. One of the things that I brought up then that I'll continue to bring up is the fact that you see in the sales and marketing world, specifically the ways that tech vendors have shaped the marketplace that they sell into. So in marketing, the, the parallel would be the uh, addiction to attribution to where for every ad dime spent, you can point to a user action that led to revenue and all this sort of stuff. I think the parallel here would be that everybody should have AI in their contact center or you're not taking it seriously. Assumption that honestly is there. <laughs> you're getting board members talking to, to procurement and buyer responsible people in CX organizations and saying, well, you're not taking your job seriously unless we have some form of AI, because obviously AI makes everything better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think um, you alluded to a framework that I hold very dearly to myself, which is a clear understanding of the purpose of a tool allows you to make good value of the tool and good use of the tool. You know, and it's sort of a philosophy of technology, right? That if we start with the tool and we don't know what we need it to accomplish, then you might get lucky and it might be effective, but more likely you're going to experience the negative implications of that 
tool or technology in greater strength than you will the benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And Steve, there's a quote from Steve Jobs, and I'm not going to try to quote it off the top of my head because I'll butcher it. But in essence, it says that very thing. Don't start with a product and, and sell to a market. Start with a market, understand what the, the needs and the and the desired experience is, and then build the tool accordingly. So build the suit rather than than selling to suit. No, it's uh, it's common sense if you slow down for a second. But when you have a lot of pressure organizationally to check a certain box, the concept of omni-channel has been very similar, right? Where you have to be omni-channel or you're not taking your your customers seriously. And I'm not saying that omni-channel isn't offering a lot of benefits for customers and for organizations in certain applications. But if you've just spent a lot of effort to get a bot on your website that actually makes everybody want to run away from your brand, I would not argue that that was a good use of omni-channel, right? And so it's application specific, starting with what it is we're trying to accomplish whenever we implement a tool or a technology. So this is a good point to ask the data question, right? Because the buzz around AI has reached fever pitch, I would argue, but there hasn't been a lot of time for data to really be analyzed on the impact of AI in the contact center. So what data are you aware of that's out there, Doug, that supports this this general idea that AI technologies in the contact center are actually improving customer experience? Or are we kind of doing this dance where we're just hoping that while we're reducing costs, that the customer experience will remain at least acceptable enough that we're still more profitable than we were before? Yeah. And so this sort of ties back to what you just said a, a minute or so ago about, you know, you've got executive leaders who who are pushing procurement to, you know, to look into this. And and obviously the idea there is cost cutting. Mm-hmm. Do I think there's an element to let's drive automation, let's drive, you know, dr- drive cognitive agents, AI, wh- whatever you want to call it, LMs or MLs, you know, what whatever you want to call it, let, let's drive toward that and hope that our customer experience doesn't suffer. I think there's an element to that. Now, data does show that there are some things that can effectively be automated, can effectively be handled through through AI or, or you know, automation or, or ML, whatever, again, whatever you want to call it. But those tend to be the, the low-hanging fruits. Those are the things that you know, the agents were very effective at, and they're, they're easily repeatable, things like password reset and, and even FAQs, that, sh- that sort of thing. It's sort of this shift left to zero approach, right? We're, we're trying to make sure that that either the, you know, it, it never hits an agent to begin with, you know, sort of the call deflection approach, mm-hmm. or the mentality right now by a lot of the public is, I want to be able to fix it myself. I don't want to have to call somebody. So that's great. You know, we we can put that stuff out front where, you know, through knowledge bases and what have you, where then if they can't solve it themselves, it it hits a cognitive agent first. And then if it's unresolvable, then it winds up in an agent's lab. What gives me chills at night sometimes is when I hear about the whole service desk zero concept Mm. and service desk zero or support zero, if you will, is sort of that that Apple model where it's almost impossible to to contact somebody directly. You got to go through the knowledge base first, and they make it relatively frictionless because you just start typing in what your issue is, and and it finds the right knowledge artifact for you. But then if you take those steps and that doesn't resolve it, then it'll put you into a chat. There's no phone number you can call for support. 
there, there's, you know, back to your omnichannel. If you spent a ton of money over the last 10 years on omnichannel, and now you're going to go down to, you know, this service desk zero approach, well, you just threw a lot of money out with the trash. So you got to make sure that these tools fit with your long-term strategy, not just the flavor of the day. So that's what I would say. The, the data supports that there is use cases for automation. There is for AI. There, there are for ML. But it's got to fit within your overarching strategy. Don't just throw it in there because everybody's doing it. You know, we've seen it time and time again. And, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say this because I'm on a CX program and I'm a CX strategist myself. But the fact remains that CX is sort of a flavor of the day, or it was for the last two, three years. Then we throw CX and AI together, and now you've got two flavors of the day running in parallel. You know, you, you have to be careful with, with how we leverage these things. And what we can't do, again, we can't not just throw out the digital strategy, but we also can't throw out all the CX improvements we've made over the last three to four years, mm-hmm. most of which are outgrowths or outcomes from the pandemic, because people were forced to do things on their own. They, they were forced to work from home. And so they had to do a lot of things on their own. And how did we make that frictionless for them? So got all these gains that we've made in digital strategy over the last five to 10 years. We've got all these gains we've made in CX over the last you know two to four years. And now we want to throw it all out because cognitive agents or AI are going to rule the world. I just don't think that's reality. And, and the data doesn't really support it right now. It's We're not at a level of maturity with AI tools to really soak up everything. Well, and we kind of danced last week around the question of, do we ever want to be at that point? We won't necessarily go down that path today, but I would say that you specifically mentioned sort of the low-hanging fruit, easy automation, efficiency gain type tasks, that there is quite a bit of data to support that those implementations of AI or machine learning for those efficiency gains is actually efficacious. It's happening. It's it's verifiable. It's something that you can plug into a, a business case for a software purchase or for a process change or, or, or what have you. And I think my concern with the overall feel is of the industry is we've gotten to this place of evolving very quickly because of the pandemic, as you mentioned, and because of the ever-changing and increasing focus on new customer needs and new customer perspectives, that we've gotten used to change being so much quicker that we're not thinking critically about what is currently data supported. We're not thinking critically about what actually engages with our long-term strategy. And unfortunately, I think there's that potential on both sides to miss out on what's important. You know, at the end of the day, if you decrease your cost 10%, but you lose 30% of your top line revenue because you've alienated your customers, you have a negative business outcome. And yeah. there has to be some dipping of the toe into the pool. You know, there has to be some pilots run, some experiments done, some, you know, data to support the decision actually lining up with the long term business outcome goals to avoid those kinds of scenarios happening. And I just, I feel like that the rate of change has changed so much and we're so used to seeing change happen so quickly and and organizations are almost free-for-alling in some ways. And even organizations that have long sales cycles, there's a point of assumption where we're now checking boxes in a sales process and an evaluation process where the why 
we want to implement this was not firmly entrenched at the beginning. And so, yeah, it might still take nine months, but now it's just about checking the organizational boxes and the critical thinking stage was bypassed, right? So this is kind of how I'm seeing this. And I think ultimately um, the ability for the humans involved to be able to accomplish on the customer side what they need to with the brand and for the humans on the brand side to understand the needs of those customers and to implement policies and procedures and tech and to empower and equip humans to do that work insofar as it makes sense, that core value exchange is never going away. And the moment we get rid of that core value exchange in CX, we have created a whole set of side problems that none of us are really ready for. Yeah. So, you know, you actually touched on something that I'm always intrigued by, and that is what we talked a little bit about marketing and and sales, right? And, you know, I mentioned that I spent 18 years in sales and sales management. I know acquisition costs are significantly higher than retention costs, right? It's much easier and and much more cost-effective to keep customers happy than it is to go out and find new ones. And yet, to your point, what we're seeing is that there's a challenge with continuing to deliver the same kind of experience if we take the agent out of the equation. And if we go to full automation, go to full AI, go to full machine learning, the reality is, and, you know, I I wish we could do a poll here, but, you know, it's like, whoever wants to talk to a machine, one, one, you don't want to call for support in the first place because nobody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I want to call a support desk. I want to call them and tell them what a great job they're doing, says nobody ever, right? Mm -hmm. So you start off from, at best, a neutral space and more likely a negative space. That's, That's the mindset going in. And yet we want to make it challenging for them to speak to a live human being where some of these tools can be very effective is in, in these low friction situations. Hey, I, you know, I want to find out what the flight schedule is and yeah. Oh, great. Jacob, you're awesome, man. Do you prefer to talk to a machine? So perfect. And I think if you ask anybody what their preference is, they're all going to say, Hey, I want to talk to a real human being. And so ultimately, particularly when it comes to those high tension scenarios, not just, hey, I want to see what the flight schedule is, but hey, my flight just got canceled. I'm in the airport. I missed my connection. There's not another connection with this airline for eight hours. So I'm going to be sleeping in the airport. That's where they want to talk to a human being. And so where you can turn people off by going full automation is by in those high tension scenarios where empathy is just probably not ever going to be part of the equation or, you know, we're going to have to be at at sort of next gen AI before we get to, you know, machine empathy. That's the scenarios where, where I think people want to talk to people or, you know, at at least interact in in whatever channel that is. I think if you ask a hundred people, you know, you may get 11 who are going to say, you know, I'd prefer to talk to a machine first. Well, particularly Matt, in a high tension scenario. And Matt just made a good point in the chat. Thanks for joining us and chiming in, Matt, that, I mean, ultimately there may be situations where talking to a machine is seen as acceptable because of what you're trying to accomplish. And that's that's what you were kind of alluding to there, Doug, with the fact that anytime a human needs to feel understood, and that's actually one of the reasons they're reaching out, that's a variable. And I think that that's a variable that needs to be taken into account. I would argue also 
almost all good questions that are really good questions that are worth asking. There's almost always an it depends answer somewhere in there. Right. And that's why they, they pay consultants and strategists, the big bucks. Right. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, you know, when we're talking about an, a scenario where a human is having a struggle with a brand, sometimes it's just not even really about what gets accomplished on the call. Sometimes it's more about the customer feeling heard. And when you are not even allowed to talk to a human, when you're in that mode as a customer who has what I call a brand injury, you know, where you're just like, I got a boo-boo here, man. Like, I am not happy. You guys did me wrong. I've got real life pain from my relationship with your brand. I need to be heard. I would say, I kind of hope we never let machines get to the point where they can replace the human in that type of need. Because I'm not going to go matrix on us here, but the agent that is an AI agent can really, really understand all of the emotional needs of a human to that degree. That has all kinds of negative implications for the world. And I would argue also just with any tool, the more power we give a tool, the, the concept becomes that power can be used in lots of different ways, right? And we just had that little ethical flyby. We're going to get back on track here because I wanted to change the framework here of how you see this progressing in the future with AI in the contact center. And, and I'll just argue real quick, just to set the table for this one, Doug, that I think we have a unique responsibility in the CX world and how we think about the implementation of technologies for two reasons. And that is the number of people that work in CX is enormous. The percentage of the global population that participate in customer service and customer experience work, if you add it all up, is pretty staggering. And then second, the number of people that we face in the customer world is a large portion, an enormous portion of the world. And so the way that we use technologies really sets expectations of societies and individuals. And in that way, it has an impact on where we are going as a you know, global world species, right? So where do you see this going? Are we just going to see CX expectations lowered? Or are we going to see increased loss in customers leading to revival movements of human to human contact within CX? Where are we headed with this? Yeah. So great question. Put me in into the sociologist seat, seat right? Here are my thoughts. And these are purely my thoughts on this subject. One, I think probably, and, and you touched on, there's sort of this rush to implement and big part of it is probably driven by economics and finance. You know, most corporations right now are in cost reduction mode with the, you know, the threat of a, of an impending recession that's been hanging over our head now for what, eight months, it seems like numbers don't show that it's actually happening. But anyway, that aside, <laughs> the reality is that just like all of these other rushes to X, you know, one of the things that I think of is digital transformation. I, I think back, you know, six, eight years ago, and everybody was doing digital transformation. But if you asked them what that meant, like everybody gave a different answer. And ultimately, you know, about 30% of those digital transformations truly achieved the objectives that, that they had set out at the front end. And I think you're probably going to see some of that same thing. And, and so what happened is in that digital transformation era, the 70% who failed didn't re-implement. Most of them just kind of went back to 
status quo, you know, pre, pre-transformation project. And, and I think you're going to see some of that here. So that's the, the technical side of it. I just think you're, you're not going to see the levels of adoption and ultimately success or failure is going to be driven by adoption. But I think from the sociological standpoint, I don't think you're going to have outright rebellions, but I think you're going to have customers who push back on not being given choices. Just about everything that we've done when it comes to support in, in contact centers and service desks and, and wherever, whatever space you're in, they tend to run in cycles. And the current cycle is cost reduction. A couple of years ago, it was despite, you know, sales being down because of the pandemic and people, you know, staying at home and and most of them, you know, many of them not having jobs, even though the revenue stream was low, it was cost spent because we, we need to keep people engaged. Well, if we then retract that and go back to a model of it's my way, not your way, Eventually, there's going to be pushback, and, and it's going to swing back the other way. You know, we're we're talking about, you know, customer service and and contact centers and what have you. Same things happen with onshoring and offshoring and nearshoring. And you know, the, ten fifteen years ago, it was everything goes offshore. Then it, then it became, you know, well, we can't deliver the same kind of experience we want. So so let's move it nearshore where where it's a little bit you know a little bit more familiar. Then over the last few years, it was, hey, let's let's bring everything back onshore because that's where we can deliver the, the best experience. Now it's in cost reduction mode, everything's going offshore again. And, and so mm-hmm. we, we see these continuous cycles. And I, I think we'll see the same thing here. Some of these programs will succeed, and it'll probably be the ones who, who look at it as a tool in the toolkit of how I provide and deliver support, how I deliver a positive experience. The ones that will fail are the ones that are going to push people to do it their way. And those are the ones that I think ultimately will give all those things back. And, you know, will, will the pendulum will swing back in the, in the direction of, of customer focus as opposed to bottom line focus. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, and, you know, Shafiq has a- answered this well in the chat as well. So customer expectations from CX are not going to be lowered probably. And ultimately, that's going to be the market driving dynamic that's going to determine how this goes. So if AI gets to the point that it can, in a sustainable way, maintain continued growth in CX experiences, actual experiences, not gamed data, not pure top line with a hemorrhaging bottom line, where we actually see sustainable business outcome growth, those things might remain. The elements that do not sustain those kinds of growth within the AI buzz will be shown to being what they are. And when the fad fades, you know, either that or we're going to be in the matrix and we won't know it. So whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, I, I think, you know, you talk about the customer is king. You talk about the customer experience. Well, we also know customers can be wrong and unreasonable and tyrannical. We know this. And there's there's a, a a healthier conversation I think going on in some areas of of CX about these kinds of topics. But at the end of the day, businesses exist to drive revenue and profit. And if you don't have customers, you don't have those things. So it'll be interesting to follow. You know, we're out of time. We're gonna leave it there for today. But Doug, what a fantastic conversation! Thanks to our friends in the chat for joining in and interjecting. Thanks to Jacob with the cave being on top of the poll 
but really looking forward to continuing the conversations around this. And Doug, it's a pleasure having you be our feature guest with us. Really glad you could join. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. All right, everybody have a great day. Go make the world a better place. Listen to a recording of this and other episodes. Visit vistio.io forward slash podcasts. And to join our show live each week, go to vistio.io forward slash CX Live.